If you have your Bibles with you, or these days I guess I should include your electronic devices, we're going to go to Revelation chapter 19. Speaking of which, and in just a few weeks, we're going to be sharing with you about technology and ministry and how that is going to be expanded and built upon. Uh, ben, Pastor Jeremy will be sharing some in that service. We're excited about it and uh, looking forward to that, anticipating the 1st of December, being able to share some things with you. So uh, make sure, <laughs> not that you ever forget your smartphone, but make sure you bring it on December 1st with you that day. Revelation chapter 19, we're going to begin reading in verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. If you skip over to chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up. I, I couldn't help it. I had to pause there for a moment. And shut him up. Wouldn't you just like to shut him up? <clears throat> and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them. Judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we bless you today. Thank you for the word of the living God that's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Right now, Lord, we need this word to teach us, to speak to us, to illuminate our minds, to grab a hold of our hearts. Lord, I pray that this clay vessel that is present here today in front of these, your people, would be anointed with an anointing from on high that would lift off and destroy everything that, is, that brings bondage. We give you praise, we give you glory, we give you honor for these things in Jesus' precious name. And the church said, Amen. 
talk to you about the millennial kingdom today. Over the last two weeks, we have focused upon crucial and climactic events concerning the end of time. We discussed the rapture, the catching away of the church, the bride of Christ to meet Jesus. And just to remind us today, as he told Noah to come into the ark, and as he told Lot to come out of Sodom, one day at any moment, he is going to say to the church, come up here. To the true saints of God, to meet Jesus and to be with him forever. Then we looked at the terror of the tribulation and all the horrors associated with this seven-year period immediately following the rapture. It's called the time of Jacob's troubles, the time of Israel's troubles. If you happen to be living at the time of the rapture and you are not ready to meet Jesus, if your sins are not forgiven and you are not under the blood of Christ. You will be left behind to face the most horrible period of history ever known to mankind, the seven years of tribulation. Today, let's talk about the millennial kingdom or what some call the thousand-year reign. You know, every one of us have a desire for a utopia. Maybe you've never heard that term before. But utopia defined is that imagined community or environment with nearly perfect qualities for its citizens. A utopia. We live in a beautiful world, but this is no utopia. This is one reason why we fly to exotic islands with clear blue waters and perfect temperatures. We're looking for a Utopia. We take cruises to enjoy the warmth of the sun and the serenity of sailing on the wide spanse of the ocean. It's sort of how we envision retirement from the long career and the rat race of many years of labor. We're looking for that utopia, planning for it, hoping for the best. You know, even pastors anticipate the utopia of retirement. Let me share a little humor with you this morning. It's called Five Eggs and a Thousand Dollars. A pastor was retiring after 25 years. As he claimed, came to clear out his bedroom, he found a little basket under his bed with five eggs and one thousand dollars. So he called to his wife and said, darling, what are these eggs and all this money doing under the bed? His wife kind of dropped her countenance and hesitated for a moment before she responded. And then she said, honey, I must confess that these eggs, uh, that every time you preached a bad sermon, I would put an egg in the basket over these last 25 years. Well, the pastor, he was kind of pleased because five bad sermons over 25 years is not bad. And then he said, well, what about the $1,000? And she said, well, every time I got a dozen eggs, I would sell them. So... So yes, even pastors, after more than a few bad sermons, are, are kind of longing for a utopia. But in all sincerity, there is a utopia coming for the child of God. It's called the millennial kingdom. It's called the thousand-year reign. The setting of this time is 
at the conclusion of seven years of God's judgment, there's some key events that will have already taken place. The false religion that will have deceived millions of people into believing in the Antichrist and taking the mark of the beast. This uh, kingdom, if you will, has now fallen. This empire has now been taken down, crushed by its own ally in the political partnership, and ultimately judged by the hand of Almighty God. The Antichrist, the political leader of the known world, the beast embodied by Satan himself, are both crushed by the one riding on the white horse, the true Christ, the, the true king. And the scripture says that the beast and the antichrist and the false prophet, they're not killed, but they're cast alive into the lake of fire that burns with brimstone. After all, let me just stop here and remind us that the Scripture says the wages of sin is death. But when it says that, it's not talking about death in the physical sense where life ceases to exist. But let me, let me just stop here and tell you today, every soul in this room will never die. Now we need to let that sink in for a moment. Every soul in this room will never die. But when it talks about the wages of sin is death, it's talking about spiritual death, where the soul is that's not right is literally and eternally separated from God, and that there is never a reunion uh, with mercy and, and the presence of the Father. And so you got to understand that spiritual death is the paycheck for sin, and the paychecks are ultimately and eternally given at the great white throne judgment. But while this awful tribulation has been happening on the earth, this seven years of horror that has been taking place, the saints of God, the true saints of God, have been in heaven, and they've been at the marriage supper of the Lamb. For the last seven years, we have been basking in the sunlight of God's love. We've been partaking of the best of heaven's trees. The angels stand down that were put in place in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 24 when man sinned and, and God put angels with fiery swords guarding the tree of life. Now those angels stand down. They no longer need to guard the tree of life for the saints of God now have access to the tree of life and, and, and in the Garden of Eden. And we have for the last year, seven years been drinking from the river of life while seven years of horror has been happening in tribulation upon the earth. Right about this time you hear throughout the heavens there is an announcement that the angels sound with such a clear, a clear call that probably all the inhabitants of the earth hear it. And the sound is heard, Babylon is fallen. Babylon is fallen. What does that mean? That means the false religion, the deceiving antichrist, the political system is all falling apart. And right on the heels of that in Revelation 19.1, what resounds in heaven next? is these words, hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. And then Jesus looks to his bride and he says, come my bride, still in your wedding garment. You're still arrayed in your white fine linen. You have feasted at the marriage supper of the Lamb, but now it is time for the honeymoon. Now it's time 
time for the utopia. You see, I, as I was thinking this week and preparing for this morning, I well remember my wedding over 31 years ago. And there was some interesting events that took place on that April 16, 1988. I remember the ceremony, how beautiful Sandra was. And by the way, sorry ladies, she's still the prettiest one in the room today. But on that day, she had decided she was going to wear a hat, and her hat kept falling off. It wasn't cooperating whatsoever. Did you know when we got married and the ceremony was taking place, I gave her my right hand instead of my left hand to put the ring on, and then, of course, I tried to nonchalantly switch the hand while communion was going on. There was a whole lot of people weren't praying. They were too busy watching us, watching me try to fumble around with hands behind my back, switching my ring to the right hand. I remember well the reception, the joy of friends. I remember the fellowship and the well wishes. I remember the good food that the bride and the groom usually do not ever get to enjoy. But I want to tell you something. I was ready to ride when honeymoon time came. I was taking mama to the mountain for several days. We were going to party in a Christian way, of course. I mean, it was oh baby time. You know what I'm talking about? Two to three hours of ceremony and reception, but four to five days of honeymoon. And I want you to get the comparison today. Jesus turns to his bride and he says, honey, you have enjoyed a seven-year wedding ceremony and reception, but I'm getting ready to take you on a 1,000-year honeymoon. Here comes your white stallion. Follow me. And the same door from symbolically Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, when we heard the voice come up here, the same door opens in Revelation 19, and we head back to earth for a time of victory and celebration that lasts for 1,000 years. Can you imagine 10 centuries of peace, prosperity, holiness, and happiness? How can this be? I'll tell you exactly how it can be because that old dragon, Satan, the devil, the serpent that started his devilish work in the Garden of Eden has now been chained up in the bottomless pit. Oh, somebody ought to give up a shout of praise right there. Some of us will have to deal with him before this day is over. Some of us will contend with him this week, but I'm talking about a day when he's going to be chained up for 1,000 years and you'll never see sense, hide nor hair of him. I don't know about you, but that causes something to leap within my spirit. I've watched him damage families. I've watched him ravage marriages. I've watched him wreak havoc in the lives of people's children. I'm telling you, there's coming a day and we are going to see him shut up and shut down and shut out. I don't know about you, but that causes victory to arise within my spirit for greater is he that is within me than he that is within the world. Hallelujah. There's some key questions that, that many have asked about what happens during this thousand-year reign. First of all, where will the capital be? I'll tell you exactly where the capital will be. It will be in Jerusalem. The reign of Christ will center not from Washington, not from Moscow or Beijing or London, and it definitely will not be from Rome where the Vatican is. 
It'll be Jerusalem. The scripture calls it Zion. Zion or Jerusalem. They're interchangeable. Psalms chapter 2 and verse 6. Yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 3. Out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. In Isaiah 27 and 13. It says they shall worship the Lord in the holy mount at Jerusalem. You wonder why we have a sin sentimental connection to Jerusalem. You wonder why Jesus commanded us to pray for Jerusalem. You wonder why Samuel in the Old Testament said, I've sinned against God if I do not pray for the nation of Israel. You wonder why there is so much fight to eliminate Jerusalem and wipe out Israel. It is because Jerusalem is the eternal capital of the world. God said a long time ago, I'm going to choose a place and my name will dwell there and there will be temples built by man and torn down by man but there's coming a day when I'm going to erect a temple by myself and when I do there's not going to be a man that's going to be able to take it down and from there my son Jesus Christ will rule and reign for a thousand years well praise the Lord I'm telling you if you don't believe me believe the word of God whether it's Jerusalem or Zion listen to what the word says therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion and everlasting joy shall be upon their head who is the prophet talking about I'll tell you exactly who he's talking about he's talking about the children of the most high God we are not just residents here this is an earthly census but I'm telling you my citizenship is in a place called Zion in a city called Jerusalem and that's where I look forward to worshiping my Lord at the eternal capital for a thousand years. Well, praise the Lord. The wedding ceremony and the reception is about to commence, followed by a honeymoon and a thousand-year utopia we cannot even imagine. Well, who will reign with Christ during this thousand years? The saints, the redeemed, you need to understand something. It will not be angels ruling with Christ, but it will be saints dispersed throughout the world. Hebrews 2 and 5, for unto the angels has he not put in subjection the world that is to come. <laughs> we also know that if we suffer with him, we shall reign with him. We also know we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Someone will lead this county in righteousness during the thousand-year reign. I'm grateful for Christian leaders in the town and in the county that we have now, but not all of them are Christian. Come on now. Not all of them are righteous. Some of them profess one thing and possess the other. 
But I'm talking about a day that's coming where there ain't going to be no pretend leaders. There ain't going to be no half-hearted leaders. And I'm telling you, when they're leading the various uh, metropolitan areas or counties or towns or, or cities, I'm telling you, there's not going to be any more drugs in town. There's not going to be any more drunkenness in town. There's not going to be any more loud music burped up from hell going on in town. You're not going to see corrupt billboards and, 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 and social media corruption. There's not going to be no more fighting churches at board meetings and tiptoeing around politicians. I'm telling you, I could be looking at the millennium mayor in the house today. I could be looking at the thousand-year county board of supervisors. I could look at members of a, a school board that'll be ruling and reigning. And let me tell you something. It won't just be about one day around a flagpole, not during the millennium. Let me tell you something. Every day, students in the hallways of the schools will lift up praise and glory and honor to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm telling you about a utopia that every child of God should say, even so, Lord, come quickly. Let's get this wedding over with so we can start to enjoy the honeymoon that lasts for this eon of time. Hallelujah, hallelujah. The animal kingdom will be affected. Vicious animals will become innocent creatures during the thousand-year reign. The child will play over the den of a snake. The lion and the lamb will play together. The lion will eat straw like an ox instead of fearlessly preying upon the innocent, unsuspecting animal. Isaiah 65 says of the animal kingdom, they shall not hurt or destroy in all of my holy mountain. Sickness will be gone for good, eternally destroyed. Physical ailments will cease. Now we believe by faith that by his stripes we are healed. Now we believe that he is the Lord our God who heals us. Now we walk by faith and not by sight. But I'm telling you, during the utopia, the 1,000-year honeymoon, the millennial kingdom, sight will show us that physical ailments will cease. Sight will reveal leaves of the trees that provide healing between nations. Sight will say, so long to faith, I don't need you anymore. Or sight will say to faith, I'll see you later. Because the truth of the matter is, when we start that 1,000-year reign, there won't be no more broken bodies. There won't be no struggling lungs. There won't be no limbs that don't function. I'm telling you about a glorious day where he's going to wipe every tear away from our eyes and we're going to live in incorruptible, immortal bodies and nothing of this world will affect us physically. This kingdom will fill the earth. Psalm 72 and 8 says he shall have dominion also from sea to sea, and from the river unto the ends of the earth. Habakkuk 2.14, For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You see, Christianity has always been the minority. 
when the kingdom message started, it started with a one voice crying in the wilderness, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then it grew to two. One was a wild-haired preacher named John and his second cousin, a carpenter named Jesus. Then Jesus' band grew to 13. And then to 120 on the upper, in the upper room. Then right after the upper room, it quickly grew from 120 to 3,120 listening to one sermon. And then it grew from 3,120 to 8,120 when a lame man got healed in Acts chapter 4. And now in 2019, it's millions upon millions that have confessed Christ and accepted Christianity, but yet we're in a planet with multiplied billions. We are still a minority. But one day in the millennial, hallelujah, one day in the utopia, one day the millennial bride, the utopian Christians are going to become the majority. In fact, one day this earth will be purged of all rivals. And for 1,000 years on earth, Christianity will be the only kingdom. Somebody give up a shout of praise. I'm preaching to you that there's coming a day there's not going to be Republicans and Democrats. There's not going to be a Supreme Court or there's not going to be a House of Representatives, no Senate. The earth will be under the supreme control and theocracy of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There'll be no more cults, no more occults, no more Catholicism. No more Protestant, Muslim, Evangelical. No more Church of God, Assembly of God, Methodist or Baptist. Just kingdom Christianity. We're the minority. And every time I feel like I'm the minority, I have to be reminded. I tell you, I can't find a greater reminder than in Daniel chapter 2. When all these great kingdoms, the prophet was seeing the vision. He's the counterpart of Revelation, the Old Testament counterpart. And he's seeing the revelation of all these kingdoms that are rising. Every time a kingdom would rise, another kingdom would come along and it would knock that kingdom down. And it happened for four or five kingdoms. And I could get into that specifically and talk about it, what it means prophetically. But I really like to get further down into Daniel chapter 2. After, after, this, after the prophet has seen this image that represented so many kingdoms and how one knocked out the other. And, and from one generation to another, there seemed to be another kingdom reigning. But then the Bible says that, that all of a sudden there was a, a stone that was cut without hands that came from the, from the heavens. And when that stone came down from the heavens, it came flying into that massive image represented so many powerful kingdoms it knocked that it knocked that image over and all of a sudden the stone began to grow let me tell you what that stone is that stone is the kingdom of Jesus Christ it was prophesied in Daniel chapter 2 and we are living we are going to see the fulfillment of it because one day kingdoms may rise I'm telling you there's lobbying and volleying and jockeying going on amongst national leaders but let me tell you don't get bothered by it don't get concerned by it Realize you're on the winning side. Realize you've read the back of the book. Realize that you may be a minority today, but it's not always going to be this way because one day the stone that came from the heavens
heavens. It's going to fill this earth from one end to the other, and you and I will reign with the Lord. It was prophesied of the groom when he was a baby that of his kingdom there would be no end. It's fulfilled during the millennial reign for it is prophesied the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. You can split hell wide open if you want to with your foolishness during the vapor of this life. But I intend to reign eternally with the Lord. Mortals. Mortals will live during the thousand-year reign. Who are they? I've asked myself that question a lot. Who are these mortals? I've pondered. Maybe they are children who were extremely young and somehow escaped the tribulation. I've pondered. Maybe they are are souls that didn't take the mark of the beast, nor did they accept Christ. Somehow they escaped the threats of the Antichrist. I've even pondered. Maybe they're a, a new mortal human race. There's two reasons why I know there's going to be mortals present during the thousand years. Number one, someone mortal must be present for glorified saints to reign over. We're not reigning over each other. There has to be someone present. Number two, Satan will be loosed at the end of the thousand years for a short season to tempt And praise God, he cannot tempt those that are immortal. The children of God, the bride of Christ. For a thousand years, there'll be no devil or demons to tempt mortal man. You say, wow, what a perfect environment. There'll be some mortals that will serve Christ because he rules with a rod of iron. But inwardly, their heart will be far from him. They will fulfill the word that with their lips they do worship, but their heart is far from me. After 1,000 years, Satan will be loosed for a short season. He won't be able to tempt millennium immortal Christians. But there will be some mortal men, mortal women, mortal young people. After having lived a thousand years in peace and prosperity, will still follow Satan when he comes calling. Like Adam and Eve in the garden. They will be drawn away from the utopia because of their corrupt heart. This proves to me that a perfect environment 
cannot produce a perfect heart. Adam and Eve had a perfect environment. I've had family members say, Donald, you're so on fire for the Lord. If you lived closer to me, it would be easier for me to live for Christ. I may help your atmosphere. You as believers may help your family's atmosphere. But environment doesn't produce a perfect heart. It's hard to fathom that during a thousand years of peace and prosperity that anybody living in that would turn from it at the temptation of Satan. Some have said, if my circumstances were only different. How many times have you heard an unbeliever say, when I get this area straight in my life, I'm going to turn my life over to Jesus. The millennium proves that though the outward conditions could be perfect, it's still a matter of the heart. Is your heart ready for the rapture? It's coming. It's coming. Every second. Tony, you struck a chord with me on that one second difference. Every second is a second closer. Every second. I've heard stories of people giving their lives to Jesus in a service on a Sunday morning, kneeling in an altar, asking Jesus to come into their heart, getting into their car, driving off of the church parking lot, and going out into eternity. And it all came down to that chronos, that moment in time. Is your heart prepared not only to go in the rapture, but is your heart prepared so that you can miss the tribulation? Sometimes we talk about our heart being ready for the rapture. I want my heart to be ready so I don't have to live through the horror that is coming to this earth. Is your heart ready so that you can rule and reign with Jesus in the utopia of the thousand-year reign? Would you bow your heads with me? You came to church today and you've heard the word. More importantly, you sense God's love, God's spirit. Maybe he's speaking to you. Hey, you haven't given me, you haven't given me everything. You haven't given me your all. You're playing games with me. You're hopscotching in and out of the world and in Christ one moment in the world the next. You're, you're, you're not being true and sincere. You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. My God, my God. 
You say, preacher, you don't know the sins I've committed. You don't know the things I've done. Let me tell you something. The blood of God's own son will not only cover your sins, but the blood of God's own son will cleanse you from your sins. Preacher, I need prayer. I need prayer. Would you pray for me today? Would you just lift up your hand? Things are not right. Things are not right. I know they're not right. Thank you. Thank you. You may lower them. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Is there others? You may lower them. Thank you for your honesty. I need prayer. If Jesus came back today, if he came back in the next five minutes, if we knew he was coming back in the next five minutes, would the altars remain barren? Or would there be people that know things are not right with them and God that would be on their knees and they would be asking God for his mercy? The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He is coming. People ask, where's the promise of his coming? He's not slack concerning his promise. But he's long-suffering to us, willing that not one soul should perish. Several hands went up. Maybe some hands didn't go up. But I would be amiss if I didn't invite you to come and, and kneel, not before me, but before the Lord and say, Lord, there's a couple things you and I need to, to talk about. I need to put some things under your blood. I need, I need your cleansing. Are you here? Are you here? I want peace. I want to leave this service today with peace. I'm going to wait for just another moment. God bless honest hearts. God bless honest hearts. It's me, Lord. It's me. I need prayer. Spiritually mature brothers, sisters in Christ that have a heart of compassion, would you get up from where you are and come? Put your arm around these that have responded. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. 
Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, sweet Spirit of God. can't do it on my own, Lord, but I know if you're with me, I will overcome. God is able. 